it's uh, it's been a little while, but welcome back to the Rebuild Podcast. I am Jordan Zerm, your host. Find me on Twitter at Cleve Zerm. Um, you can go back and listen to any of the past Rebuild episodes by going to iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or Art19. They are housed at all of those locations. So you can go back and listen to all, I think, almost 30 episodes of The Rebuild, dating back to the beginning of last season. So um, check those out. I come with a, a little bit of, of sad news on, on my end in terms of this podcast, but The Rebuild will be going on a, a hiatus for an undetermined amount of time at the, at this point. But as some of you probably know and that I announced on Twitter, I... Have uh, I'm fortunate enough to be taking a job doing social media uh, with the NFL, which is going to drastically um, change the amount of time that I have to contribute to a podcast. And also, there are some sort of conflictions in there as well. So, um, I am my room right now is a disaster where I'm recording this. There are boxes everywhere. There are I've taken all my frame photos down. I'm in the process of uh, moving to Los Angeles, California. I'm driving out there uh, tomorrow with a good friend of mine, and I start my new job next Monday. So there's a lot of things happening uh, that I'm very excited about. But um, yeah, so we're going to hit pause on the rebuild. And I know that is unfortunate with the Brown season just around the corner, but uh, you know, sometimes opportunities in life come around. You got to put other things on hold, and uh, hopefully I will be able to return to this podcast in the in the near future, the not-too-distant future. But I, I thought that as a final sort of farewell for now episode that I would you know give that news, and uh, I was very also fortunate to have ESPN's Mina Kimes join me on the podcast today. She recently wrote a really great cover story for ESPN the magazine on Cleveland Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield, um, photographed with lots of very adorable dogs, but really good story just sort of poking around in Baker's psyche, and as he, you know, year two is the leader of what's certainly going to be a polarizing and entertaining Browns team that has sort of playoff aspirations and beyond. It was a really great conversation and insights into sort of what Baker went through his rookie season and and as he looks forward with a team full of really talented players and a new head coach and all of that, just, you know, who he is and how he got the way he is. And he is, as you will hear in my conversation with Mina, he is really one of the first quote-unquote millennial quarterbacks just in terms of like how he is both on and off the field. Uh, his social media use, his um, how he kind of speaks his mind to the media, all that stuff. So uh, really cool of Mina to join me for almost a half hour. Um, really appreciate her time. And yeah, so we talk about the cover story. We talk about her experience sitting down with Baker, if her, if her opinions of him changed from what she thought of him before to after the interview. Uh, we also touch on Odo Beckham Jr. a little bit and um, his recent interview with GQ. And then we get a little prediction from Mina on, on what she thinks the ceiling for the Browns is in 2019. So um, I can't thank you guys enough for just like making this podcast something that felt that felt real and cool, like because I could see how many of you were listening to it and it sort of blew my mind from day one. So, you know, everybody that listened to this on a weekly basis, everybody that sort of um, let me know they were listening or, or had kind words about it, or even if you hated it, you listened and you hated it, that, that too, it's... It's been a really cool ride. I'm really happy I got to do this. Blue Wire is doing big things uh, regardless. So um, stay tuned with them. Obviously, keep listening to Jake Burns, who's who's killing it both for the Browns Film Breakdown Podcast and over at Cleveland.com. So, you know, you can get your Browns fix from him while I am while I am gone as well. 
So uh, lots of good stuff coming from Blue Wire and even more this upcoming season in terms of the Browns. So um, yeah, so it's it's bittersweet to be doing this right at the beginning of the season, but this was sort of an opportunity that was um, too good to turn down. And so yeah, if you do not already follow the Checkdown at the Checkdown on on all social platforms, please do so. That will be where I will be working um, for this upcoming season. It's a, I don't know, I sort of refer to it as the House of Highlights for the NFL. If you follow House of Highlights, they're an offshoot of kind of Bleacher Report and they do a, cover the NBA in a, in a very sort of modern and online way, um, a little bit aimed at like a younger demographic. And I think that the NFL um, needs more of that. And that is what the checkdown is. And I can't wait to get started kind of turning it into something that um, that people are really going to be able to recognize and have fun with and interact with during the NFL season. So if you see any Browns content on that account, it's 100% for me. And I have already let them know that I will only be, I'm just going to tweet the same gif of like Baker or Odell like multiple times a day. So we'll see how long I last. I, yeah, I may be back on this podcast sooner than later, um, judging on how many Browns things I tweet or Instagram in the first week and how upset they are about it. So um, but yeah, so, you know, thank you for coming along on this ride. Again, this is just a, a, a pause. This isn't a, I'm never doing this podcast again. Um, I don't know when I will be able to get back to it, but you know, we'll see what the future holds. And if you are, if you're listening to this in Los Angeles, um, and want to meet up, holler at me. If you have some vacation time scheduled in California, holler at me. I'll be out there. Um, and, uh, we will, uh, we'll hang out. We'll, we'll get together. So shoot me a tweet, shoot me a DM, shoot me an email, whatever. Um, but again, really cannot express, uh, how much I appreciate how many people have listened to this and have made it feel like, um, something really, really cool to kind of grow and be a part of. So yeah, without further ado, um, it is now time for my conversation with ESPN's Mina Kimes on her cover story about Baker Mayfield. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. All right. I am um, very excited to have uh, ESPN's Mina Kimes joining me today. Um, Last week, she had a really great cover story on Cleveland Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield. Um, She's also all over many of ESPN's platforms and shows from Highly Questionable and Dan Levitard Radio Show and lots of other cool places. So, Mina, I really appreciate you joining me, um, and it was really uh, a really great story. So I'm excited to kind of chat with you about it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I think Baker, I, I this might not be a, true, but I think he is the only Browns player to appear alone on the cover of ESPN the magazine in the history of the magazine. That, which I, is, that's about where the Browns are right now. Yeah, I feel like that definitely has to be true because I don't know who in there since they came back in '99. Like I don't know who would have made it. Like I don't think Derek Anderson made it in 2007. So I don't know who would have been on the cover. So that's definitely probably true. Um, I wanted to ask the most important question first, which was, were you involved in the, I saw you put out, you know, you took a picture of the call sheet for all the dogs that were involved in the shoot. Were you involved in the selection of the dogs that made it into the photo shoot with Baker Mayfield? I was not. I think they knew that it. I would have spent too much time and money and wouldn't have been able to narrow it down to, I, I think it was like 30 dogs or something. There would have been like 100 if I was in charge. Um, <laughs> it's by far the most entertaining photo shoot I've ever been a part of, and I will say Baker was very good with the dogs. He looks kind of like a natural, like he, the photo with him with like, you know, he's like walking 10 dogs, like, I don't know, I feel like he was like a dog walker in his past life, like the form looks good, um, he looks happy about it, um, 
Were so the dog like how long did that? Were the dogs pretty like well behaved? Like was it something that didn't? I feel like a shoot like that it would take a lot of takes when you're trying to get them all like to look in the same direction or just whatever. Like how what was that process like? Uh, so Peter Yang, our photographer who's done a bunch of our covers, is fantastic and was extremely crazily good at getting them all to look in the same direction. But obviously with a dozen or more dogs. Um, you're going to get a variety of uh, skill sets, you could say, uh, <laughs> techniques. Um, it, we were just praying to get a few of them to sit still in one place uh, because they weren't like uh, dog models. They were just regular dogs for the most part. And a lot of them, you might not be surprised, uh, were owned by Browns fans who were very excited to be part of the shoot. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sure. I feel like that was the highlight of their, it's going to be the highlight of their year. And a final dog question. Did, did Lenny apply? Was he invited or was he just like, was that above him? Like, how did that work out with him? Well, so a few things. Lenny does not fly very well. I'm in Seattle actually right now. I just did a live podcast taping last night and Lenny did not come out. He did Skype in. Okay. But um, he he's not a good flyer, and he's also not a Browns fan. Sorry, sorry to. Oh, tough. Yeah, yeah. So I thought you know maybe not a good idea to introduce him into the mix. Yeah, no, I get that. That makes sense. That'd be a you know he might have been a little standoffish, so that uh, that makes sense. Um, yeah, on a serious note, the, the story's great. Um, I think Baker is a a fascinating person, um, not only because he plays a very important position, um, but just personality wise and. He's very kind of front facing and he's still very much not afraid to sort of say what's on his mind. And um, I, I the first thing I wanted to ask you about him was, did your impression of him like going into the interview and going into this story? I don't know if you spent time with him previously before this story or not, but did your sort of impression of him change at all um, kind of from what it was before you spent time with him and then what it was when you kind of did the story and, and spent time around him and, and people in his family and, and coaches and stuff? I think that I, so I had not met him in person before doing this. Um, and for me, I think it wasn't like I had any of my opinions or perceptions radically changed, but rather confirmed like the things that I had heard, um, about his charisma and social intelligence, uh, you know, which as I mentioned, the piece, Hugh Jackson made that weird Pied Piper analogy, mm -hmm. which in respect very dark and perhaps um, <laughs> foreshadowed some of the stuff that would happen between the two of them. Look up the Pied Piper story if you guys don't know it. Uh, it's not just about a charismatic person. But um, in any case, I, so I had heard, you know, this guy's really, really, really charismatic. And then I think once I met him, I was like, oh, wow. I was struck by not just how he interacted with me, uh, but watching him interact with people around the facility, watching him interact with people at the photo shoot. He is the kind of guy who walks into a room and immediately owns it. And it sounds like a cliche, but I will tell you, um, Jordan, you know, having spent time with various quarterbacks and NFL players, it, it's not universal, the quality that he has. Yeah, for sure. And I, I thought you, you know, you mentioned that too kind of well in the article just about, um, you know, there's quarterbacks that are either just boring in general, like they're just boring people or they're boring by choice. And they because, you know, I think the word you use is, um, you know, they use it as a shield from criticisms for, you know, because when you're as open as Baker is and you're sort of as um, 
I, I don't know if I would call it, like, I don't think arrogance is the right word, but just kind of like very confident in your abilities and very confident in knowing like you can say something and you feel like you're going to back it up. But that obviously, um, especially this upcoming season, if things are to go in a, in a negative direction, like there's going to be, you know, there's always blowback. And um, I, <laughs> Baker to me is like the, is a very much like representative of like somebody who is very online, like Baker is very much online. I think he admitted to you that like when he is looking for something to get him riled up, he he goes over to Colin Cowherd's Twitter or he just searches Colin Cowherd to see what he has to say about him. Um, it, I, I think it's interesting. I think I very much like I appreciate Baker's personality because of what you sort of say in the story, because so many players uh, in the NFL, especially at the quarterback position, are just so bland and so, you know, they're not bringing you anything in press conferences or post-game kind of quotes. They're just so run-of-the-mill. And, and Baker is, I, I love athletes that are like that. But do you think, like, do you think there's a line for him in terms of, like, like an example I think maybe that sort of struck me as becoming too online is when he was on that talk show somewhere in, I think it was in Texas, and he sort of just took a shot at Texas's quarterback, Sam Ellinger, like out of nowhere. And it was, it, that one was weird to me because the kid's still in college and Baker is now in year two of the NFL. And that, that it always feels like there's a little bit of a line. Um, and right. some and sometimes he does something where you're like, maybe that one you should have kept to yourself. I wonder just what your thoughts on that are. So that was a really interesting example because that was in Oklahoma and it was actually at the camp that I was at okay. uh, watching him and I saw him do it. And I didn't understand. I, I, I had the same kind of reaction. I think a lot of people did, which was, dude, like this dude's a college. Who cares? Right. Then I looked into it a little bit and I was surprised to actually see that in 2017, uh, Baker was actually pretty complimentary of the, Sam Ellinger, the quarterback. So I was confused. I was like, what happened? It wasn't like they've been at odds or, at, you know, all of their lives or whatever. Then I found Jordan that in 20, I guess it was last year or it was before last season um sam ellinger made fun of orlando brown online who mm. you may know is one of baker's very good friends yes. from Oklahoma, the offensive lineman and that's really baker man like you can trace all of these little beefs or feuds to some sort of tribal instinct to protect the team or a teammate and nobody really brought that up this when he kind of went at sam again but knowing that it suddenly unlocked it for me i was like oh right this makes sense. This is a this is a team thing. This is a friend thing because really most of his um, like I said, it, 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 it can always be sort of explained that way. Now, as I mentioned in the piece, I thought that can have I think negative ramifications or at least be a little bit more ambiguous. Uh, for example, in the the Duke Johnson case, right when uh, Baker was asked about Duke demanding a trade and he didn't sound you know super sympathetic. Once again, that's him kind of rap like you know, circling the wagons, wagons around the team, but that does kind of cross a certain line in terms of the NFL. Yeah. And I, I think too, like with the Duke thing, I remember I was, I think this was, this might've been a day or two afterwards, but I was at one of their mini camps and it, I just remember like, you know, Duke's out there on the field and, you know, he was going through his drills and things seemed fine. But you just wonder that sort of, there, there's an inherent awkwardness when something like that happens when, you know, you're not addressing each other directly, but you're sort of, you know, going through the media to say something, but then you have to go practice with that person. Like in the next hour, I feel like, you know, in any walk of life, no matter what you do, if that was a situation, there would just be a little bit of awkwardness around it and yeah I think you're right like I wonder 
you know, we'll never probably know exactly what's going on behind closed doors, but I wonder how, aside from the report that there were veterans that came up to Baker and were like, chill, but I don't, you know, I don't know how that's affected. And I wonder too, yeah, will that at points in his career, you know, become a distraction, quote unquote distraction or a detriment to the team? But yeah, I mean, he, I think what I always say with Baker is like, Nothing he's really done or said since getting to Cleveland, and even when I followed him probably the last year of his career at Oklahoma when, you know, there was a lot of um, rumors that the Browns were sort of linked to him, is that, like, he's just going to be that dude in in all situations. And I do think at least there's some consistency to him where, like, there's a little bit of predictability in terms of, like, oh, yeah, that would make sense that he would say something like, you know, you're either on this team or you're not, because... I feel like everywhere he's been, um, from high school to Oklahoma to now Cleveland, like he just is very much going to speak his mind. And it's almost to the point where like, you just kind of expect it from him, I guess. Yeah. I, I, it's very deliberate too. I think it's how he leads. Um, you know, the, this sort of tribal you're in, you're out attitude. Yes. There can be occasional pitfalls, like I just mentioned, but it's also very seductive. Um, it makes guys want to run through a wall for them. I mean, Hugh Jackson, I think, in in the story, he said, if you, it serves the purpose you need if it leads to wins. And this is a guy who found himself on the outside, right? Um, but he, even he acknowledges how effective that can be um, to go into a locker room and feel like your quarterback would die for your team. <laughs> it, it, I mean, that's obviously a little hyperbolic, but it, it is a very, very effective leadership strategy uh, and, and and when you're winning, it's it's you know obviously works. <laughs> yeah, and I and I think that's what I actually don't even know if it's hyperbole. I think Baker might legitimately die for a teammate. <laughs> like I think I think that might actually be spot on. Um, yeah. And it's going to be that's what's so fascinating to me about this upcoming season too is because um, you know Baker now sort of has to lead this. I, it's it's kind of a cast of characters like from Odell to to Jarvis who's a pretty strong personality and then you obviously have the Kareem Hunt situation and um I occasionally forget he's on the team and then he'll his name will get brought up and you'll be like oh right he's coming back like week eight that'll be a whole thing to deal with and like I'm it's gonna be really really fascinating to you know a lot of people are like well is Freddie Kitchens gonna be able to handle all these guys I I feel like it's gonna be way more important to see how Baker Mayfield especially offensively with so many new not only new personalities, but like just weapons and, and trying to um, keep everybody sort of satisfied and, and in the game and, um, you know, all working towards one goal. Like, I think I'm more fascinated by how Baker is going to sort of lead all his new weapons than I am sort of like how Freddie Kitchens is going to. I think that's fair. I mean, there, there are a lot of mouths to feed on this offense now. And, um, you know, kind of going back to Baker and his various um, beefs and, and how you can trace them. I don't personally, and I didn't, I didn't really think about this until after I published the piece. I don't think it's a coincidence that, um, you know, I don't want to say it's why he he was dissatisfied with Hugh for the, you know, because Hugh left and and went to Cincinnati and he's been pretty open about that. But I do think it's also noteworthy that um, Nick Chubb, who's his very good friend, I think they were roommates. They were uh, roommates. Yep. Um, was not used <laughs> very much by <laughs> Jackson, and I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't very pleased about that. And then, and then we saw uh, Nick Chubb, you know, explode a little bit after Kitchens took over. And um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't. I guess I just I kind of see a little bit of a connection there. 
And I think that the usage of Nick Chubb is something that's going to be very interesting and probably important to this offense. But once Kareem comes back um, and they're going to have to figure out what to do with Duke as well, uh, there's just a lot going on in that backfield. There's a lot going on in the backfield, and um, I'm a big Nick Chubb fan, and yeah, it was also sort of head-scratching when they gave him like three carries a game uh, early on in the season. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be, um, I mean, I'd rather, you know, for me as some, and, and for people here in Cleveland that have sort of um, been through all sorts of um, training camp storylines, like this is this is much more enjoyable than ones in the past where it's like, oh, there's we have too many talented running backs, you know, like that is so much more enjoyable to talk about than things we've had to sort of talk about. Um, in the past, like is Peyton Hillis becoming an FBI agent instead of playing football? So um, this is this is way better than that. Um, I, I wanted to, to kind of touch on Odell Beckham Jr. with you too. Um, you know, he re- I think it was either yesterday or uh, over the weekend his um, the inter- an interview he did with GQ, and I'm I'm really the thing with Odell Beckham Jr. to me is I feel like a lot of buzzwords get thrown around him in terms of when people criticize him, where it's like he's emotional or um, he's, I, I don't know, he dances too much. Like I'm, I'm always really interested in how people criticize him, but it doesn't seem like there's a ton of like concrete examples of it. It almost to me like exists as this narrative that got built and then sort of took on a life of its own. And I mean, I know he's had instances on the field. Um, the one that comes to mind or when he got into it with Josh Norman, um, and then, you know, he, everybody likes to point towards the kicking net. And then I think people also point towards the the infamous boat party that they had, but like, do you, I wanted to ask you, is there a criticism of Odell Beckham Jr.? Because I feel like a lot of the GQ story was him sort of feeling like he had to answer all the, this negative perception of him like over and over again. And it, it's amazing to me that he would, that's, it's become so negative. Like the outside noise around Odell feels to me very negative and I just don't really know where it came from is there a criticism of him to you that you feel has merit that that has legitimacy or and do you just in terms of like where all this criticism came from how do you think it sort of got to this point um well to answer your first question about sort of whether I think there's criticism that has merit I I don't really think so um and you know this was we did an NFL Insiders panel at ESPN grading the trade, and I think every single person gave the Browns an A or an A minus, and every single person gave the Giants a D or a T minus. So <laughs> uh, that's how you know it's not um, very as much as we can talk about oh off the field and um, you know locker room or whatever. Although locker room is also I think a fallacy because by all accounts he was really well liked in New York. Um, at the end of the day, everybody agrees this was a ridiculous, ridiculous trade for the Browns to get him. Um, And his talent speaks for itself. As far as kind of where it came from, I think uh, Odell became so famous so quickly uh, in a way that we haven't really seen in the NFL. Like, I talked about this with um, your fellow Browns fan, Mike Ryan, on my Uh podcast. Uh, Yes. You guys you should check out the Minikheim show featuring Lenny. Uh, we did the AFC North, and we talked about – it was – somebody asked us about um, sort of the idea of following teams or players, and we both agreed that there are probably Odell Beckham Jr. fans now. For like sure. Which is very rare in football. You know, it, it's very common in the NBA, obviously. People root for players. But in football, usually it's a very team-oriented sport. But I walk around, and I see so many kids with Odell jerseys, and, like, you're going to pick up a lot of bandwagon Odell fans. <laughs> And I think that's just the level of attention, scrutiny, um, 
the degree to which he became a talking point for everything he did really amplified that, coupled with the fact that he is an emotional guy, right? You talked about how Baker is extremely online, and I think Baker is kind of like the millennial quarterback in some ways. Odell is very much the millennial receiver. Like, he is not afraid to show how he feels, and that's something you see more in the NBA than the NFL, again. Um, and I think it, it, it sort of sometimes clashes with some of the, quote-unquote, like, norms of you know, how players in the NFL are supposed to act. Yeah, it definitely does. And I also think, you know, I <laughs> I remember, especially early on in his career, where I think, you know, maybe the NFL has been a little, um, especially of kind of like how fans interact with or talk about players and how even guys in other locker rooms talk about players. But there was all this, you know, when he was, he, he loves to dance, not only like after touchdowns, but he would take Instagram videos of himself dancing. And he's like very good at it. Like it's very impressive. And, you know, that sort of turned into a conversation where, and he had to answer it in the GQ thing about like his sexuality. And, you know, that, I think that speaks to a much sort of, um, less advanced mindset of the NFL in general. But I also think people didn't know how to like, when you think about other just like great wide receivers that came before him, like if you think about like a Calvin Johnson or, you know, Randy Moss was pretty outspoken and pretty, um, you know, did things that, that gained controversy, but there wasn't somebody with like a yellow streak in his hair that was like tattooed from head to toe that was doing like these crazy, you know, trendy dance moves. And I, I don't even know if people knew how to handle Odell when he came into the league. And I think so much of it is really generational. Um, For sure. There's a, there's a thing, to kind of bring it back to Baker, you know, there was, I, I, I did an interview that didn't, none of it made it into the story with Drew Stanton, um, who's mentored him, you know, since he got to Cleveland and uh, him and Tyrod. But Drew talked about how he had been around, you know, number one draft picks and top quarterbacks before Andrew Luck. <laughs> for example, and he said, you know, Baker, he, he really, he, he's like, I love him. He puts in the work, you know, he's got the talent. He's like, but he's just different from any quarterback I've been around. He's not the same. And I do, and Drew said, you know, I, I do think there's kind of like a new generation thing going on. Um, the, he, he said, you know, that how he shares so much of himself, that's very different from what I've been around. And I think the same thing applies to Odell. There's just sort of a, a, a generational difference in how these athletes talk to the world, how much of themselves they share, and the way in which they share. It's all very new. It is all very new. And I think similar to Baker, too. Like, Odell is very captivating in his own way. And that, that day I was at minicamp, it was actually the, the day that um, Odell spoke to the media. It was, like, really his first kind of extended comments in that um, in that setting, like, at the practice facility. And um, it was after all the, you know, he hadn't really been there for OTAs. And I was just um, much like I think you said about Baker, how when he sort of walks into the room, you know, he sort of owns that room. I was just captivated by Odell, his comments like during and how he sort of addressed all the reporters. And he's just very smart and he's very cerebral and like he's very aware. I think he's pretty self-aware now of like the things that are how he's perceived and how he has to live his life now. And I was just very captivated by him. Um, and I think... You know, it seems for the most part, you know, that he and Baker get along really well. I know they have spent time together um, previously when they were both on separate teams. And, you know, obviously the ups and downs of a season can sort of test those relationships a little bit. But it does seem like those two personalities mesh. Um, and I, I think Jarvis Landry being there is sort of his 
older brother slash mentor is going to help him a lot too. And it almost, I've said this to friends, it really reminds me, now Odell is on another level sort of star-wise than J.R. Smith, but I remember when J.R. Smith came from New York to Cleveland and he like, just sort of embraced like being in this this smaller city where he was going to have some more time to himself, where there weren't going to be paparazzi around. And he sort of just like, I don't know, really embraced it to the point where I think like a year ago when he was talking about like, you know, hopefully I'll buy a house in Cleveland after I retire. Like I want to spend time there when I'm when I'm done playing basketball because it had that sort of calming effect on him a little bit, I guess. And I, it just reminds me of Odell where like there's so many tabloid headlines about them in, in New York and, and um, on teams that towards the end of their time there were not very good anymore. Um, and I think a change in that sort of environment to a team that is sort of having these championship aspirations, whether it was, you know, joining LeBron with the Cavs or now, you know, a team with the Browns that offensively at least, and I think defensively too, but I mean, they have a real chance to be very good, I think. And um, so I just think, I think it's going to be a similar situation for him, or at least I hope it will be where he can find a little bit more, a, a calmness that maybe didn't exist when he was playing for the Giants. Yeah. I mean, I think, listen, you, you know, this from the Cavs, um, their good years and, when you're winning, everything is good. Yep. So when you're losing, we'll see. I, and that's that's kind of when uh, a lot of these issues we're talking about suddenly take on a different inflection. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Well, Mina, I really appreciate um, all the time. I guess the final thing I had for you was where just where do you see, like when you think about the Browns and you think about this season and like what what do you think their ceiling is? If you had to sort of predict the best possible outcome for them this season, to you, as I'm always curious about the national perspective, because I think sometimes being in Cleveland and um, hearing people locally, I think, you know, the optimism sort of outweighs anything else. So I'm always really interested in sort of the national perspective of the team. Like, what do you think their ceiling is for the 2019 season? Sure. Um, I, th- I, I think they're going to win the division. Um, I think that their realistic ceiling is, uh, you know, winning a playoff game at this point. So, you know, going in deeper into the playoffs, not just making it to the playoffs. Um, I love the talent on this team. I have a few question marks. Um, I am concerned about the offensive line. I think some people are not talking enough about that. Yeah. Um, because it's so key to Baker's continued development, even even though he did a wonderful job of, of getting rid of the ball quicker last year. The tackle position is concerning to me, and it's very important for your two quarterbacks. But um, – on paper, I think the talent on this team is good enough to take them fairly deep into the playoffs. Yeah, I I feel similar. I also think combined with sort of how the Steelers and to an extent the Ravens are sort of on the, uh, especially defensively, the Ravens lost so many people. So I just, the, the time almost feels sort of perfectly too for the Browns in terms of like, even if they have some bumps in the road, they, they might be able to still kind of win that division just because for the first time in what feels like my entire lifetime of watching football, the Steelers and Ravens are sort of, (laughs) it feels like going the opposite direction a little bit. Um, So I think that'll be something kind of interesting to watch too. Um, But uh, yeah, again, Mina, thank you so much. Um, Go read Mina's story. It's on, you can find it on ESPN.com if you get the magazine. It is, is it next month's cover story? It is our NFL preview, which, yeah, it comes out the first, I think the second week of August is when you can get on newsstands. Okay, perfect. And um, I, I just want to gaze at Baker's outfit and try to replicate it. So that's really why I want to get the, the trench coat with shorts is just a, no. that's a fit. You know, Cleveland, that Cleveland weather, you got to be ready. <laughs> you got to be, that's perfect for any, 
winter or summer, it's all right there. That's a really great point. So um, I think hopefully we'll start seeing fans walking around Cleveland wearing that exact outfit uh, in the very near future. But Mina, um, thanks again. Obviously, follow Mina on Twitter. Um, at Mina Kimes, where she is. Um, Mina, I gotta say, you have some of my favorite. You have some of my favorite tweets. I think your one yesterday about who among us hasn't gone back to an old flame was maybe. I I think I laughed at la- uh, out loud at it. So um, please follow Mina on Twitter. You're very you're vi- you're like you're frustratingly good at Twitter. Like it makes me mad how good you are at it. Appreciate it. Thanks, George. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Mina.